What's the point of this old guitar? If it ain't got no strings, pouring your heart into a song that you ain't gonna sing. Like having s'mores around the campfire or cotton candy at the county fair. And me, as long as you're right here. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I am Maxwell Ivey, known around the world as The Blind Blogger, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse, where I bring you interviews with people who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, people who have struck out on their own and created a unique business, uh, experts who have real-world, real-world-tested advice to help you overcome the excuses that are holding you back, and people who I just happen to find interesting or personally inspiring. Uh, you can find the podcast at, at uh, theblindblogger.net. You can also ask Alexa or Google to play What's Your Excuse? Um, and uh, now we're even on iHeart. So you can find us pretty much anywhere you want to watch or listen and get inspired to overcome those excuses that are holding you back. also hope you will visit my sponsor, Chip Edwards, at createmyvoice.com, who will help you create a voice branding strategy to take advantage of those millions of people that are starting every day to use their voice more than their keyboards to find content. And if you're not claiming your brand through claiming an invocation name on Alexa and Google, you're missing out on a big opportunity to reach people where they are and to grow your audience, grow your passion, grow your brand. So be sure and reach out to Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com. Um, and for those of you who sometimes wonder what Max is up to, I'm soon to be launching a What's Your Excuse podcasting network where I'm going to help uh, other blind people and people with disabilities create and launch their own podcast or help those with existing podcasts uh, grow their audiences and monetize them by making them part of a collective network of amazing shows from wonderful podcast hosts who happen to have a disability. So today, uh, I'm doing something different, unusual. I'm interviewing two people at the same time. This will be my first group interview, y'all, so y'all think good thoughts for me, and I, I'm sure this is going to turn out great. Um, and, the, and the reason they're, they're on the show is because they've created a couple of movies already that help show the world what the visually impaired are capable of, especially in the area of art. Uh, their movies, Ordinary People and Straight Off the Canvas, uh, show visually impaired people in different ways. The first movie is showing us the ordinary tasks so you can appreciate we're just like y'all. We just happen to have to do things differently because we can't see. And then Straight Off the Canvas is about how we can appreciate art we can create it we can teach other people to create it and we can appreciate it, enjoy it and be inspired by art uh, when we are included either through audio described tours or tactile three-dimensional presentations so these guys are doing wonderful work uh, their names are anthony saldana and jason figuera and they met in college they've got both got interesting stories as as well as the story behind the movies and you can find them at facebook.com slash straight canvas. Uh, other social media will be available and any, any, uh, any new places you can find them, I'll be adding to the show notes after this goes live. But 
But I do think y'all are going to learn a lot from these gentlemen. So Anthony and Jason, welcome to What's Your Excuse. Thank you for having, Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm very honored to have both of you. It's very rare that I get to uh, to have a conversation with people who are focused on disabilities, uh, the blindness community, and on doing what they can to help people understand us better and then also trying to, uh, to gain more exposure for the blind people in your stories as well as for your movies about the visually impaired. Appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, thank, thank you, you guys. Yeah. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. All right. Okay. So why don't we why don't we start by talking about um, what it is that makes you guys so interested in uh, spotlighting people with disabilities? Because I know beyond these two movies, y'all are working on another one about obsessive compulsive disorder uh, that will feature Jason uh, heavily in that movie. But y'all seem to have a real uh, passion for spotlighting these groups that don't get a lot of attention otherwise. Right. right. Um, yes. It, it, when I, when I graduated uh, from Queens college, uh, you know, and I, I had gotten a, my first job out of college, I was kind of looking at different uh, projects that I could do on the side to keep myself creatively uh, fulfilled. And uh, I started doing, I, I started to brainstorm my head and I wondered how blind people perceive art. And it was really an interesting topic at the time for me. So I, I went to the library and I picked up a book and uh, that book was Ordinary Daylight, a portrait of an artist going blind by Andrew Potok. And uh, that that book really had a profound uh, impact on you know my my creative process of basically Mr. Potok uh, was a a uh, an artist who was becoming learned that he was becoming blind and it affected him so much that he started to do with therapy where he had bees sting his eyes because he thought you know that this would give him an, a cure and uh just reading that book made me realize that i as an artist have a responsibility uh because not many people are telling these stories on on television or through film and um for, so I thought that I had a responsibility to go out in my community and meet blind people and do a film about what the blind community needed. And that was a film that I did 10 years ago called We're Ordinary People. And from there, once I finished that film, I, I, I decided that this was the time that we were going to be doing uh, Straight Off the Canvas. And uh, it took a long, it, it was a long process. It, it, we started the pre-production in 2011 and now it's 10 years later and it, it, the time is just right. So it took, it, it was a 10 year process, but straight off the canvas is ready, ready to premiere. 
Right. And it's already won some awards. It's uh, been entered to some major film festivals. And you know, eventually, more so many people can be uh, have their opinions changed by seeing this movie. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Something how going to the library and getting a book about a painter. So for those people who think the libraries don't serve a purpose anymore, now you know. They do. Uh, they absolutely do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and for you, Jason, I, I know that you and, and Anthony have been friends since, uh, you, since, since college. Um, and I know you have your, your personal struggles with, with, with OCD, but was there something spe specific that drew you to the project of, uh, of featuring people who are blind, uh, either in their ordinary day or in the, in the area of art? Um, when Anthony first approached me with his idea, I was, you know, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do something where it could be a project on my own terms in, in terms of being independent, because I was in uh, my master's degree program at Hofstra at the time. And I was really starting to get my creative chops going for field production work. When I, when I was uh, an undergrad, I had just done studio production and I was really getting experience doing documentary production. And when Anthony proposed this idea to me, I said, this is a wonderful start for me to really get practice in this field and to make something on my own. Well, not just on my own, um, with Anthony and to make something independently. And when he had first approached me with it, I said, this sounds like a wonderful idea. Um, you know, what do you want to call this movie? And what do you want to talk about? And I remember the first route we went was um, blind. I think it was our first film was about blind activists and the myths that they face. And in doing so, it gave me the challenge to get out there and to really put to use my skills to serve a community. And every time I picked up the camera or talked with Anthony about an idea, I felt like I was doing some form of community service. And it really made me feel wonderful at the time because I was, I was working part-time at the university. And um, I felt this was something, it felt, I felt very fulfilled doing this kind of work. I felt that this is something where, yes, this is something I dreamed about in undergrad school, using my talents to make an impact, a positive impact uh, on a group of people. And what a wonderful, not only um, positive uh, feeling this was, this was, but what a wonderful way for me to practice my skills, doing camera work, um, assisting with pre-production, doing production work, audio, anything else. Um, this is just a wonderful way for me to do work on the side and get more practice um, so I could work on my thesis film later on. Right. Now, you were working on your, your thesis at the university. Was this about the same time you were working at Sony, uh, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, busy working for Sony by day and then uh, doing creative projects at, at night. 
and I just, uh, you know, it, at first it was just a, 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 an idea. And then I, I met some, uh, some great, you know, great friends at National Federation of the Blind. And uh, to be honest, you know, I, Jason was having such a great experience at Hofstra University that I wanted the same experience and I wanted to get into grad school as well. And uh, so I was going to need to produce something of, of high quality to get in. And so I just saw that as a great opportunity as well. And uh, but just, so, just hearing some stories that they told, you know, it was just really impactful. Right. So we have two guys that are friends, uh, both of them working at places that you would think would uh, would be would be um, using their their creative energies. But both of you had to go outside of your day jobs to find something that you were truly passionate about producing. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Sony, Sony uh, job that I had for about seven years was working with, uh, they had a museum in, in New York city where they taught children about the basics of media. And that was, uh, you know, a good entry level position, but, uh, you know, it, it provided an opportunity to be able to pay my bills and go out and, and work on projects that I was interested in. Yeah. I, I just bring it up because I think that too many people are, uh, feel, feel unsatisfied with their, let's call it side hustle for lack of a better word, because, they're still working at a day job. You know, they feel unsuccessful, but you know, I, I like what you guys, what you guys are doing. It wasn't just, uh, it wasn't enough where you're working. It was paying your bills, but it wasn't supporting your, uh, right. your, you emotionally. And, and y'all went out and found something to, to, to challenge you and to support you emotionally. Correct. I would also say that for my um, part-time job, when I was working at the university and going to school there, um, it was exciting. And the job I had there was great, you know, but there was something more adventurous about going on your own and doing a film on your own terms, instead of being assigned a project by a professor or having to do this, you know, for a job. It, I think it gave me a greater sense of adventure to say, this is something completely independent. I didn't yeah. need somebody assigning this to me. Right. There was a, we're going out there. Yeah. There was a great yeah. moment. I guess like Tom Sawyer, you know, just going out there and having an adventure. <laughs> you know? There was a great moment that really uh, was a turning point for us where, spoiler alert, none of us know how to drive. And uh, <laughs> we all don't know how to drive. But we're but it's something we're, that'll that will happen in the future. But uh, we went out and we we traveled to interview a, a blind rabbi, and we got to learn about his struggle and how he, you know, is a leader of his faith community, and you know he talked about his his struggle with uh, I believe it was brain cancer, and and how 
or, you know, it was a, a, a significant struggle that he was going through in his life and, and how he learned from that experience and recovered from that experience and is a leader in his community. And it was really a great interview. And then the interview was over and we had no, no transportation to, to get back home. So um, I turned- Our taxi cab company <laughs> kind of ditched us. The, the taxi cab was like, oh no, I'm not coming back to pick you guys up. No, no, I'm, I'm, my, my shift is over. So I, t- I turned to Jason and I said, Jason, here's the camera, turn it on. He's like, what? I said, press record. He goes, okay. And uh, I said, Jason, hey, we're live in Demarest, New Jersey. We just in- finished a great interview and we have no way to get back home. So we're going to walk and we're going to walk all the way to the bus stop two miles straight and we're going to film it. And basically that just became uh, a way to uh, enjoy ourselves as we did a two mile hike. <laughs> In the middle was, of the suburbs. Yeah. Now see the next time y'all do that, be sure and have a cell phone with you so you can live stream it and you can get people to, to go to your PayPal or your Patreon page when you get one and, you know, you can, who knows, maybe somebody will see you on Facebook Live and they'll pick you up and take you home. That would be what I would do the next time it happens. This, this was 10 years ago, but okay. it just inspired, it inspired uh, a, now we're travel buddies where, you know, we just travel the country and, uh, you know, walk. Yeah. yeah. I have a Get friend. Lost, who, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend named Joe Pardo who invited me to speak in Philadelphia one year about four years ago. And I got there and due to some bad timing, I had to take a cab to Camden, New Jersey. And my friend Joe is like, Max, it's a shame you don't have pictures of the cab driver. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you were a total, one of the whitest people I know asking them to take you to Camden, New Jersey about the time it was fixing to get dark. He said, I'm surprised they took you. He said, but I bet those, I bet the expression on that cab driver's face would have been priceless. So um, I guess we have that in common. We don't really think about the trouble we're going to get into. We just think about the, the mission we're on and focus on that until something forces us to do otherwise. No, I didn't. No, Max, I didn't anticipate the driver telling me I'm not taking you back. <laughs> and I was like, I'll pay you extra. He's like, bro, my shift is it's over. It's not happening, man. I'm yeah. getting high. And, and yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, but you know, y'all, you guys just seem like y'all think about the work and don't really worry about some of this other stuff unless you have to, you know? That's, we make our plans, we brace for the worst, and we hope for the best. And sometimes. But whatever happens from there, God help us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Once, now, <laughs> Jason once uh, had us do a shoot in Atlanta, Georgia. So he wakes me up at like 8 a.m. I didn't have any breakfast. We do the interview. Like, and then, you know, he goes, all right, let's let's redo the interview. I'm like, no, no, I'm hungry. <laughs> but uh, that was a good, that was a good, um, really a good, um, sh- you know, experience. And we went to Atlanta to shoot the uh, international OCD uh, conference in Atlanta one year where every street was Peachtree Street hey hey no no that it's they have some good ribs in Atlanta 
So I, oh yes, gonna... it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, just to remind y'all, I'm speaking with Anthony Saldana and and Jason Figuera, the filmmakers behind Straight Off the Canvas, and you can find them at Facebook.com/slash/straightcanvas. All right. So earlier, y'all mentioned how you know how much fun it was to have this independent project, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why it is that uh, vi or that visually impaired people and other people with disabilities aren't seen in movies or television. And then maybe you could comment a little bit on the difference between indie production like yours and uh, and commercial or corporate driven. Uh, vehicles like we are used to seeing on most of our television sets. You want to take this one first while I am starting to... Sure. Yeah. Um, so, for the portrayal of um, people with disabilities in mainstream media, you know, we have seen some portrayals, but I think that for the most part, they don't really um, cover, you know, they really show kind of like a I would say sort of a, I wouldn't say coded, but it's really a, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a vapid portrayal because really, you know, they'll say, well, oh, okay, they can overcome anything. Or like, you'll see something like Daredevil, where if they lose one sense, they automatically gain another to a superhuman extent. And that's not always the way it works. Um, that's not reality. Um, it's pretty much exaggerated. Um, and what our film does is that, and the beauty of a documentary is that we can go in depth with this type of filmmaking, with this genre of filmmaking. Um, we can sort of portray, you know, some of the real world struggles that people with disabilities face and how they overcome those struggles. In a practical, <laughs> in a practical setting, um, I think that for commercial productions, there's there's always an agenda because they are commercially driven. They're driven by advertiser dollars, and they have an, a targeted audience that they're going to talk to. I mean, every every filmmaker has a targeted audience, but mostly for commercial commercially driven films, there's an audience that advertisers want to sell something to. And so basically they're going based on an advertiser's word and that advertiser's word, pretty much they have the end say. If you look at mainstream television, I would say, what was it? From our last estimate, about 70% of their earnings, I think were from advertisers. So you can kind of understand how much influence advertisers wield on commercial productions. And when we're doing an independent production like this, we are not really beholden to any advertisers. So there's really no agenda here, or you know, we're not really trying to sell something to the disabled community, the blind, you know, any community we're filming. We're actually telling this story. And that's what we're giving them. And this impact that this story has. I think is is more genuine, you know, in a way. But I'll let Anthony take it from here. I think um, just in in story in general storytelling 
sense in America, as well as Hollywood, you know, everyone wants a happy and happy ending. And in Hollywood, a lot of films and TV shows, the happy ending is healing. The happy ending is the cure. Uh, the happy ending is the ability to gain the eyesight back or or to not to finally overcome your disability. But that's not reality. That's that's, you know, like you if, if but and that's that's the beauty of documentary. Like you, you would be doing a documentary for the rest of the person's life. And, you know, the person's it's just not reality. But but um, so I I did speak to the National Federation of the Blind members while I was uh, doing the production of my first film, World Ordinary People. And I had one gentleman come up to me and I, I asked him, so if I could tell the world anything about this film, I'm sorry, if I could tell the world anything about your community and what in your experience what should i say and he looked at me and he said listen when you turn off that camera and we fade and you know you fade to black you know we're still blind and so are the stars so you need to respect us and uh that was a conversation that i had uh probably 10 years ago and it's something that i that i take seriously so you know in terms of mainstream media there you know it's there whether it's the news media you know you have a five minute block or three to five minute block to tell your story and to to do to get the message to the audience out and to to tell the news story of the day but here you know, Jason and I, we've been we've been at this straight off the canvas story for 10 years. And, uh, you know, we had a we had a good arc seven years in and then the pandemic happened while we were trying to distribute. And we, you know, the this television station said, hey, we love to air your project, but you have to add 10 more minutes because, you know, it's 10 minutes too short. We're not going to air it. So. <laughs> I was like, all right, we're we're gonna have to we're we're gonna have to do more interviews and um, make the the project more up to date by by addressing the global pandemic and how it's affecting not only um, the subjects of the film but the community that they're in and the work that they're doing. Well, seeing how myself and many of my friends who are visually impaired are on Zoom. Um, have you considered finishing the movie by taking advantage of the pandemic and re reconnecting with some of these people again, but doing interview over zoom and then adding that those, those interviews into the movie? Is that something that you've considered? We, we, that's what's something that we did for the last 10 minutes of the film was just a zoom interview with, uh, most of the cast. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good, opportunity especially during this time and it, it's uh adds a special touch because i felt like the film was perfect the way it is and then it was like no there's an extra layer here that we can <laughs> make this more up to date you know 
Yeah. How does that feel when somebody who doesn't know what you're doesn't doesn't have the same belief in your project comes along and arbitrarily tells you you have to add ten minutes to it? How does that make you feel as a as a creative person? As, I, you know, I wasn't upset um, <laughs> because ten minutes is is not twenty minutes, and I, I felt like I felt like the the film. I wasn't going to change anything to the film as it was because I felt like the film was good at 47 minutes, but I was like, maybe we can have a 10 minute preview of another project. So it was, we were just brainstorming and uh, just said, all right, let's just add 10 more minutes of, of pandemic material. But I wasn't, I wasn't too phased by it. We had, we had hours of footage. So. Yeah, I'm just curious because, you know, I've heard you hear stories about actors and writers and directors who when somebody else comes along and says, you know, you need to cut five minutes or you need to add 10 minutes or you need this. This scene would make the movie better. You hear stories about how some of these people, you know, they throw tantrums, they throw things, they say things to people they can't take back. So I was just curious and I thought other people might be curious how it made you feel. So thanks for for sharing, I guess that just it just goes into your personality as a human being that just really didn't bother you. You have to adapt. You have to adapt. You really do. It's uh, you know. Yeah. Did did being did being around the visually impaired people um, help you in this area of of adapting? Do you think you were always very adaptable, or do you think you maybe picked up a few things from being around these blind people? Such a good question. My goodness, you know, yes, and I and yes. Uh, so there, um, in 2012, I could I could tell you 2012 was either the best year of my life or the worst year of my life. So like I had just finished the film, uh, we're ordinary people, and and got distributed in 2011, right? Um, so 2012 was 2012 also the year that you were diagnosed with OCD, Jason. Yeah, yeah, it was. So it was. It was pretty so much similar <laughs> for me too. Yeah, of our lives and the worst, because we had, now we were in a position where we can submit the documentary to different opportunities, right? And I was really excited about that. But then I had a traumatic uh, injury. And uh, that, that has changed my life to this day. I, I severely injured my back and I, I also injured my neck. And it's something that I still live with the, to this day. And at the, at also at the same time, Jason uh, had told me that he uh, was experiencing OCD uh, symptoms. So to basically, I had just started to reach out to the the cast member the cast of straight off the canvas just to start these interviews and i remember very vividly that i had an interview scheduled with uh with our our lead her her name is elizabeth castellano she's an amazing artist ladies and gentlemen if you can look her up her name is elizabeth castellano and I'm going to give you her website at the end of this interview. But she, but she, you know, we, since the moment that I, I said I would love to interview for a documentary, she was like, yes, let's do this. 
I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my principal. It's going to be amazing. And I said, all right, let's do this. So now I had to call her up and tell her that I had hurt my back. I hurt my neck and my best friend who could do also do the project is stuck in his house with OCD symptoms. Um, so I called her up and uh, she was also experiencing some issues in her life. And so the answer to your question um, of how did, you know, did my new friends help me adapt? You know, we all have personal situation going on and I got to at a, at a really dark place in my life, I got to meet someone who was also experiencing something very difficult in her life. And, you know, at the, it was such a positive conversation though. It was just like, look, I, I'm, I'm not feeling well and I'm going to get this done, but I, I really want to do, I really want to interview you. And I really want to tell your story. And she goes, and, and I want my story to be told and I want you to tell my story. So we, be, you know, to, it, it was such an emotional um, moment to be able to film Elizabeth uh, painting, you know, on a canvas talking about how much painting has helped her healing in her personal life and uh so it was it was just a therapy the the film is is very therapeutic very therapeutic and powerful and um jason if you have anything else to add to that uh i i would say that um while i was sick um and in the darkest depths of my sickness um I remembered the people we had filmed and I remembered people like uh, from our first film, Ray and Romeo. And I remembered that positive relationship they had and how we were laughing and joking with them in the park, like while we were setting up the camera, getting ready to film them and how cool they were. And I kept saying to myself to get better. I kept, I had to motivate myself and say, you know what? We've got more more of these stories to tell. We got more people like Ray and Romeo out there to meet. And Anthony is lining up somebody else. It's, it was Elizabeth at the time. And I said, we we've got to introduce the world to those people. And we can't get it done. And I can't get it done like this. I gotta try my best to get better. So in a way, they helped motivate me during therapy. Right. It was their personalities, their, you know, their cool personalities. And I said, man, you know what? I can't let them down. You know, I got to get better. Well, it sounds so that, like that's how they it, affected me. Yeah. It sounds like that both of you kind of used these uh, people and these stories and the obligation of telling their stories as motivation. Kind of like the reason I do these podcasts, because my goal here is by the end of the hour or however long it takes that people will be saying to themselves, well, if those guys can't do it, then then what's my excuse? So it's uh, I do this to help motivate other people. And it sounds like y'all did the same from your experiences uh, that you had with these people that were, were, were part of your of your films. So, 
Yeah, and I, I also think that it's really important to have a goal to um, to be flexible with that goal so that you know your body, you know your mind, you know your work schedule, and, and you know, you make friends and you try to help you hit those goals. But, you know, sometimes... Did I know that the process when I started in 2011 would, would get me all the way to 2021? And like, did I know it was going to take 10 years? No, but it was the whole, the whole journey was worth it to be, to get to this moment right here to speak, be speaking to you, Max. So it the whole, the whole journey was worth it. Yeah. And, and now, and, uh, and, now, is there uh, somewhere that they can uh, that they can watch the movies or see parts of the movies, or where where can they go to actually enjoy your films and and hopefully be inspired and educated from them? Where how do they do that? So uh, one of the ways again to touch with us, we're on uh, we are on Twitter. Our at our at handle is at Straight Canvas. And uh, so we are going to be premiering our documentary straight off the canvas throughout the country. Uh, I don't have specific dates on the other stations. I do, however, have dates for CUNY television for anyone that's located in the New York City metropolitan area. All right. So I I do have dates for for that channel. Um, And... I'm just pulling up those dates now, if that's all right. Okay. Well, that's fine. I would just suggest that you create an announcement for your Facebook page and put the put the, the dates, channels, and times on there where people can, yes. can see them when they visit your Facebook page and Facebook. at facebook.com slash straight, straight, straight canvas. Yeah. Um, so... They, uh, Jason and Anthony, they will work on getting a schedule up where you can see it. And if, uh, and I, hopefully I will be able to include some of the dates in the show notes of this video when we're through. So the main thing is, is that, uh, you guys are kind of doing this old school. This is kind of like back in the day when a movie company would make a film and then the film would literally physically travel around the country but being being shown at the theaters uh except you know the only difference is instead of theaters with you guys it's uh it's television stations but it does kind of have a a vintage hollywood sort of feel to it if you don't mind me saying that yeah we, i appreciate that and uh we're also trying to get into some film festivals but you know i i wanted a grassroots approach to this film like there's the the film is so much about community and just enjoying the art and uh we're 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 gonna work to get it out to to the world right and uh here what's your excuse we're gonna do our best to help you guys make that happen and i'm i'm hopeful that my audience is going to support you and uh tell their friends to come to to look for the movie on their on their local television affiliates or at uh, at the various film festivals around the country and and who knows if you 
are part of one of these organizations that puts on a film festival, or if you uh, work at one of the local or regional television or cable stations, uh, reach out to me or to uh, Anthony, and we will definitely get you in the rotation to uh, to premiere the film in your part of the country, right, guys? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Whole world. Yeah. So world. definitely reach we're out. The whole world. Yeah, that's right. The whole world. The whole world. Yeah. International, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Bring who do we back call it? The, yeah. Who do we call at the Cannes Film Festival to get you guys on the list? You know, who do we? Anybody know who we call? Um. Uh, I find that some things I say in, in half seriousness turn out to be the most important things I can say. So, and, and I honestly believe that if you aren't willing to say it out loud, you probably don't, you probably aren't going to make it happen or anything close to it. So I say stuff like that from time to time, but it really is a great film where people do need to see it. Now let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about Jason's uh, story and, the film you have coming up after this, because as I've learned as an author, um, when you when you uh, when you work on people coming to see your existing film, some of that is the message that's in the current film, but some of that is to build the audience for the next film. So, what, could we talk a little bit about uh, Hopscotch with my brain? Sure. Um, what do you want to know about it first? <laughs> well, well, first we've been we've been teasing everybody about you having suffered through OCD, so maybe you could tell people a little bit—not the full story, but a little bit of your experience with obsessive compulsive disorder, and then what the movie is about, and uh, and we'll go from there. Sure. So um, when I, I I would say it was about 2012, and um, this is around the time that Anthony had his accident. Um, I was, I just graduated from Hofstra. Um, I'd gotten my MFA in documentary and going to Hofstra was wonderful. Um, I had such fun. It was a great program. All of my professors were cool. And, um, I was, I finished and I was getting ready to enter out into the real world. And, um, I remember I was helping research something for a film i was helping to get some information at a library and so i i went to put a book away and then i started fixing it i started saying well it's not at the right angle i i i shouldn't leave it like that and i kept i spent a good 15 minutes trying to fix this this dang book i said what is happening to me slowly but surely um this fixing became a problem. And when I was a child, I always had a certain way of doing things. Before I go to bed, I always had a routine. I would sleep with my Bible near me, my glasses on top of the Bible <laughs> in a certain, in that fashion. Um, if my, my, my Bible was crooked, I fixed it. <laughs> if it was not 90 degrees, I had to adjust it. Um, and so, the, but they, they were little things. They never really bothered me. They never really interfered with my life. But now, slowly but surely, these things began to creep and interfere with my life. I began to repeat things. I began to, um, when I was typing, I would, if I made a spelling error, 
in the sentence. I would backspace the whole sentence and then start typing again. And then it was, it was, it became a way for me to kind of, I, I just felt this anxiety, like I had to do it. And I was, I was, I was frightened because I said, wait a minute, this is not good. I'm losing control, but I don't know what I'm losing control of. And um, I remember in 2012, it got really bad. And Anthony can tell you firsthand, um, it got to the point where I could barely get dressed. I could barely even take a shower. I could even, I couldn't do daily things. I was just in the corner of, of my apartment. I was living with my parents and I was just in the corner of this apartment not leaving it that's it it's like my world just shrunk and i i literally backed myself into a corner and i said i don't know what's wrong with me and one day i went yeah go ahead man no at some point during this process he decided that he was going to have his own parents videotape him um as he's in the corner so he he then ha- it's even hard to describe unless you're there but cuz you could say oh anthony i have ocd well I, you know i love monk you know he's a little you know that was a great tv show so uh i have this this perception of people with ocd i'm like okay you have ocd let let's hang out i was not in the home and I did not have access to the footage that his parents had 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 shot, and they were he my buddy over here was having what looked like mental breakdowns of uh, just weeping because he couldn't get out of the bathroom and uh so and he eventually had he eventually had to be uh, had to uh to go to the Mount Sinai hospital and it was lucky enough to find somebody who's an expert specializing in OCD. And so since then, he's, he's managed to find techniques that allow him to, to be more like the person I imagine he wants to be. Am I following that correctly, Jason? Yes, sir. Um, when my parents took footage, they, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to take footage was like, look, I, you know, as a document, I got to document what's going on. I need to know what's happening to me. And um, one of the purposes of the footage was to hopefully show someone and they could say, well, this is what's wrong with you. And I showed it to one of the psychiatrists at Mount Sinai and he's like, yep, it's OCD. And he said, well, uh, I can give you medication and you're going to start behavioral therapy. Um, And I had to take a week to think about it. And I don't... Like I told Anthony, you know, I don't know how it happened, where it came from, but as I was having this mental breakdown, I kept praying to God. I was like, I don't know what you want. Just help me. I know I don't, I don't know if I deserve it or not, but just help me. I don't know what's wrong. And then, and I was even crying while praying. Right. right. And And I, and I was, I was literally, walking down the street 
one day, like after he had proposed behavioral therapy. And my, I, for 15 to 20 minutes at random, my anxiety just plummets, almost disappears. And I felt that was a spiritual way of being nudged. Um, you could say by God, or you could say by whatever force you you may you may imagine you you may think of. Um, I would say by God for my faith, uh, telling me to go take behavioral therapy. And I went back that following week, and I said, "Doctor, I'm ready to take it." And I took it. And it took me about a year and a half, but I got there. Yeah. You know, and I was finally able to continue yeah. filmmaking again. Yeah. When when it was interesting the schedule because I, I vividly remember like he had just started the medication and we were uh, we had finally got got our first shoot ready to begin, which was like a in April of Maybe 2012, April. It was either 2012 or 2013. I think I think it was 2012. But we were we were finally able to to do Elizabeth's uh, exhibition. And I oh, that was 2013. Yeah, 20, I remember. Yeah, yeah we went upstate. I vividly remember Jason was his effect of being on the medication that was was Risperidone. And I said, "Bro, are you able to to do?" Are you okay? He's like, oh, all right. But, but, <laughs> but, but uh, he, uh, he executed yeah. all the all, all the work. He he did a great job in the shoot. But I was just like, he's a little, are you okay, boy? He's like, uh, okay. I'm gonna be okay. I'm it's okay, bro. Yeah, yeah. And so and so, I I find it interesting that. You know, I, I tell people all the time that as a as a writer, uh, when bad things happen, I write. And I've you know I've known musicians when bad things happen to them, they create some some of the most amazing songs. I'm just I just think it's it's really uh, it's really appropriate that that while you were going through this, you have all this footage of your experiences, your parents' experiences, your friends' responses to your experiences. I mean, not only did you come out of this better, but you came out of this with a whole dang movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes... It was a lot better than I, than I had expected. <laughs> There's a moment in the film, like, I, I found that that this film that we're, we're creating for Jason is... Uh, half drama half you know it is dramatic his experience is dramatic and i felt like i needed to incorporate myself to just brighten up the mood at some point in the film um there's a point in the film where jason just turns to the cam to to me behind the camera and says i i was in the shower for like three hours and i said what how long were you in the shower? He said three hours. Three hours. Uh, so, but it, and then we educate. It, all of our films are educational, and I, I, I hope that you know these two films that are coming out, you know, and hopefully the pandemic can end so we can finally finish 
uh, hopscotch with my brain, but they're all educational films. And, you know, Jason went through uh, an insane journey and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. And, you know, I throughout the entire process, you know, like I always, always felt like it was my obligation to help him heal because he, he helped me with my goals to get uh, ordinary people, you know, out there in the universe because it wouldn't be possible without without Jason's assistance. Right, I totally understand. And once again, I'm I'm speaking with Anthony Saldana and Jason Figuera, the the people behind Ordinary People, uh, straight off the canvas and soon to come. Hopscotch with my brain. You can find them at Facebook.com/slash/straightcanvas. So I really, you know, I, I don't like to go over my time too much. So I have just really one last question I want to get into a little bit here is, is um, how did you guys get to know each other and how much of your friendship is a part of the, uh, the end product of the films that you're making? Oh, all right. Take it first, Anthony. You're six months older than me. Uh, <laughs> to, to go first. I mean, uh, it's just it's just so apparent to me that your that your stories as two guys is a, an integral part of the storytelling that happens in your movies. And I just want people to know who you guys are and how y'all got to know each other and become such great friends. Sure, sure. I, I met this guy uh, in Queens College. Uh, it was his freshman year. And uh, it was my soul. But I didn't look like a freshman. He didn't look like a freshman at all. He, uh, I guess he hadn't had a haircut in about a year. And nope. uh, I assumed <laughs> that this, this, this was an, an, a retired man taking a college class, uh, auditing our class. And I was like, all right, cool. I had no idea he was younger than me. And, uh, you know, basically... I, I we didn't talk during that class. I uh, up until the final exam, I saw him in a cafeteria. I stopped him. I was like, I procrastinated and I needed help with my exam. Um, and I left my my bag with him with my my book, and I went to get my you know something to drink. I'm like, you want anything? He's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I said, are you sure you're gonna help me? And for me, that's a big deal. That was a big deal, a big moment of trust for me, because I, you know, I grew up in in uh, a schools where I'd be reading a book, I'd turn around to drink my milk, and I'd turn around and the book was gone. So for me to leave my bag with Jason, even and I, and I didn't even know him, was a big moment of trust. And and I said, oh man, he probably think I'm gonna cheat off of him. And, I did uh, honestly think you were going to cheat off of me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. So, uh, you know, we, we both took the test. I don't know about Jason, but I got an A on the class. And uh, randomly, I bumped into him about a year later on campus. And we just started talking. And uh, it just turned out that we were we had the same interests comedically. Like, we watched the same TV shows. Um, and... Uh, we had the same, like we both wanted to take media studies classes 
you know, he said, well, what are you taking next semester? And I said, I'm taking screenwriting. He said, you're not waiting for me to take screenwriting. I said, hell no, I'm not waiting for you. I want to write some great stories. And uh, so <laughs> we we didn't really do many projects together in, in college because I was always taking class, classes like a semester ahead of him. But we really got to bond as I was an executive at the the Catholic Newman Center at Queens College. And I needed help because my other executive boards basically put their name on a piece of paper and walked away. And I was the only one taking responsibility for the club. And I said, Jason, you're Catholic, right? And he said, yeah. I'm like, all right, I need your help. And for we have some hot members we have some hot female members oh really okay (laughs) i I convinced him with our hot female members and for three and a half years we worked together uh to create events and keep the catholic newman center alive on campus and uh so that's basically how we we got to know each other by doing these catholic events and you know, I, I'm happy that that if anything, Queens College in New York City still has a place to go to for Catholic members uh, on the campus. And hopefully when the once the pandemic, you know, closes and the campus reopens for students, that they'll still be able to have this this center for the, the Catholic students. So that's really how I, I we got to know each other in college. And from there, you know, we we'd have these great conversations about, you know, our, our filmmaking career and uh, it's just our careers have paralleled along the way. So the second part of your question was how has our friendship like affected the film, right? Right, Yeah. How does it play into the filmmaking? Yeah. I don't need to talk to Jason about what shot needs to be done or what we want because we've worked together so long that we don't need to, we just need to look at each other and we know what we want. And, and so we, we definitely have a language uh, on, on set when we're working. Like I I don't question him. Like we, we make a decision and the decision's final and we move forward. We're, we're concise, we're consistent and, and we're, we're, we're cost effective. (laughs) And, um, you know, we don't argue very much. And if if Jason has an idea that I like, I run with it and we make it happen and we make it happen fast. So, you know, you'll see there's so many moments in each of the film that was just a collaboration between these two minds and just like of writing um just the spine. Jason's really great at creating the spine of of a documentary and how a documentary should flow because of his, his MFA that he got. So, you know, it's, and, and it's always entertaining, you know, to, to then bring our chemistry in front of the, of the camera for a hopscotch with my brain, which, you know, you get to see the two of us just joking on each other about how his bowl spot over there. So. Yeah. And Jason, you got any comments on uh, anything he left out about how y'all get to know each other or how, or how it affects y'all's ability to create these uh, documentaries? 
Well, to be fair, he wasn't lying about those girls. So, I mean, I, I don't have to hold anything against him for it. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, when we had first met, um, I was very shy about doing production. And he was always a go-getter and getting it done. So when I finally took production, I was going based off of his experiences that he would relate to me. And when I went in, I would say, okay, I kind of know what to expect in these production classes. And I think it was his love of production that got me interested in doing media production. Had I not met Anthony, honestly, I probably wouldn't have taken that many production classes and it probably would have harmed me even more later on. You know, I've, I've really gained uh, an improvement in my technical skills because um, I had always said, you know, Wow, he's having such a such a blast in the, in these classes. It's time to start getting out of my shell and uh, meet some people who are going to you know to these classes and having some experiences of my own. And so, in a way, it's motivated me to continue pursuing production as part of my career. So, the, it's the only thing I would really add. He goes, uh, Jason goes, you know, when I go, when I go get my grad school, you know, when I'm going to do a product, I'm going to do a game show. That would be cool. I said, Jason, you know, you could do a game show right here on this campus by taking this class at this time next semester. What is wrong with you? He's like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> I laid the idea uh... out there. So, yeah. So did you ever did you ever create a game show? No. I think the game nope. show was too boring. I needed to come up with something better. <laughs> Thank God, honestly, I didn't come up with it. He was gonna oh, do yeah. a game show on the elevator. It would have been great. <laughs> oh yeah, an elevator game show. Yeah, I remember. That would have been that would have kind um, of been funny. Have, have you have you ever seen Pitfall? Oh no. No, uh, I haven't actually. Alex Alex Trebek referred to it as his only failure because he never got paid for it. Um, the, the, the contestants would stand on these pedestals that would raise and lower based on how much money you were winning or losing. And if you played really badly, your pedestal would even drop below the level of the cameras. Some people would end up off screen because they did so poorly. It was called Pitfall. I'm going to have to check that out. Wasn't oh, in an elevator, yeah, but it was cool. close. Uh, by the before, so yeah. tell me about tell me about your your book. You said you wrote a book. Is that on Amazon? Yeah, I was actually that was actually going to be our next question, man. I don't know how you figured that out. Um, no, see, no, 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 no. We stumbled onto something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Now here's the thing. Um, I am known in my podcast, uh, my audience knows that I quite often ask questions just for Max. Okay. This is my, right. my thing. Flash so, card for Max. Let's do this. Yeah. So, uh, right. so, so I was planning on asking you guys, Hey, I, I did this book about my trip to New York city in 2016. I was one of the Amtrak writers in residence. Those people who are tired of hearing me talk about Amtrak resident writer residence. Y'all can pause now. Um, I went to New York City by myself during the Christmas and New Year's holidays of 2016, 2017, and I tried to find people to help me turn that experience into a documentary. The book is called The Blind Bloggers, New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. 
It includes about 60 pictures that were taken by random strangers that I met during the course of my travels in NYC. And I, I thought at the time the story would, made, would have made a hell of a documentary. I still think it would. And so I have two questions. One, um, can a documentary be filmed after the fact? Can you cast people to play the people in the documentary and re- reshoot it later? Is that something that's possible? Or is a documentary something that has to be done in the moment or it can't be done? It can, it can still be done after the fact. The History Channel does it all the time. <laughs> yeah, but those people aren't alive. You know, they aren't available. <laughs> you have reenactments. There, there's yeah, that's true. Animation is coming up in document, documentary as well. Yeah. Animation yeah. can be used too. If, if you have, if you have like the, the photographs, yeah, yeah, it, it could be, it could be redone after the fact. Absolutely. Right, so, okay, and then the then the follow up question to that is, does my story sound compelling? Because I've, I actually pitched it to a contest last year, okay. for people people seeking screenwriters, and their response was. Uh, Mr. Ivy, your story probably interests people who already know you, but we can't see this compelling anybody to spend money to watch it that doesn't already know you. Who have you met? Who did you meet during during your New York City trip? I didn't meet anybody famous other than Ryan Bedolf. He's the only, and he's only famous in the online community. Okay, but you know, like you know, who else did you get to meet? Like they don't have to be celebrities, right? You know, to be interesting. No, that's the thing. I didn't meet anybody famous or celebrities. I met, you know, I met uh, cab drivers, the people at the, the people at the at the uh, oh crud, name of the theater is escaping me now. Um, I you. met, I, no, no, no. I wish I didn't have that kind of money. Um, the uh, I went to see Wicked. If that helps you, the 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 the, the guy the guy who wrote music. Um, oh, Lin Manuel. No, 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 no. The old guy from like back in the twenties and thirty. Uh, the name I can't think of the name of the theater now. Um, oh I went to see I went to see Wicked. Yeah, he wrote a lot of uh, Gershwin Theater. Okay, Gershwin. I, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, that's that was um, where I used to work. But I met the I met the Secret Service people at Trump Tower. I met the the uh, jewelry ambassador at um, at Tiffany's. I met the skate. I spent time with the skate guards at Rockefeller Center. You know, I didn't meet any really famous people, but I met a lot of people, um, and there were a lot of photos taken. Uh, so, okay. yeah, I'm not hearing I'm not hearing a lot of enthusiasm here. So, guys, guys, no, so thank uh, you very actually, much. No, actually, uh, no, it's not that. It's it's um, I'm actually I have a question. When you went to New York, um, what was your overall impression of New York City? <laughs> um. I kind of thought, I thought some of it was better than I expected, but for some reason, I didn't feel the, I didn't feel it to be as crowded as I expected it to be. It was as noisy as I, there was, the the energy was definitely there, but, um, okay, look, I went there with no real winter clothes. So I'm having to find me a, a, a coat, a hoodie, some gloves, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We end we end up at we end up at, at um, Macy's in Times Square on Christmas Eve, and we have the whole sidewalk oh, really? to ourselves. Oh, okay. 
had the whole sidewalk to ourselves. It's like, where are all the people? I mean, I should be, I should, I should be having my head slapped around for going shopping on Christmas Eve anywhere. You know, in my in my household on on Black Friday and Christmas Eve, we stay at home and watch the craziness on TV. You know, right, right, Uh, right. But I just felt like there were certain times where the noise level and the crowds weren't what I expected them to be, as far as just volume. And then there were other times. uh, so, and there were other times it was great. Like there's one time at, uh, uh, the, the main subway terminal there. Um, I was trying to get, I was trying to get a subway and like two or three trains came in at the same time. And there was so much noise. I literally could not hear anything. It was like, it was like I was, was deaf and blind because of all the noise overload. But uh, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of detail of, in the of the book and you know what I was thinking and feeling during many different things that happened, right. and you know some things people may think you know hey he 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 didn't go as far as he should have gone you know like uh, when when I decided that I wasn't wasn't going to go uh, watch the ball drop in person some people may think yeah he he chickened out he copped out you know but. Um, and I also think some people may feel like I didn't do enough with my time in New York, but I feel very good about my experience. I'm very happy with the book. And the one thing I love about the book is it's one of those books that when you see it in person, when you hold it in your hand, it's much more visually impressive than when you read it online. You know, it's, it's 300 pages, 60 of those are images the images are in black and white because of the printing costs of doing color in a, in a print book. But, you know, I'm really happy with that book. And so far that book is still doing better than my latest, my latest book. Um, but, you know, so that's, I, I figured I would ask you about it. The other thing I wanted to ask you guys about is it seems to me that if a blind person is, tr- is trying to film a, mo- a movie as the main subject of the movie, one of the challenges you would have would be not letting the other people around that, that blind person know that you're filming because then they would tend to think, well, if something happens, those guys will take care of it. Right. So just have you guys ever considered, you know, just the, just the difficulties of filming a blind person let's say out in the wild for lack of a better way of saying it. Well, usually when you go on production, even, you know, for people who, um, you know, it's normal to have a crew, even if it's just one other person helping you. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you can do it by yourself, um, but it's always normal to have a crew and it's not just camera work that's involved. You have audio too, and you have um, editing, and there are so many other digital, um, and there's so many other things too, like pre-production research, researching people, talking to pe- you know, talking to um, your subjects, interviewing your subjects, coming up with questions, um, structuring your story. Um, so, being a blind filmmaker is absolutely possible. Yes, you know, especially in this day and age, it is absolutely possible. I think once you have a crew, um, 
because it's nor- normal to have for filmmakers to have more than one person help them, even on an interview. It's, yeah, it's what usually, I'm saying. Yeah, what I'm yeah. saying is is how do you how do you how do you you include a crew without having it affect the storytelling? That's I'm wondering. If, I was wanting you to speak to any of uh, how you would see the challenges of that, especially as it relates to the main subject of the story being being a blind person. That's uh, and especially with with me because my a lot of my story is the fact that I'm usually doing this while not always by myself because I tend to I tend to attract the help of people along the way that usually it's just me out there so that I just want you guys to speak to the how do you do the filming without without letting everybody else know that you're making a movie here oh no so so like I like like Jason said we 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 do the pre-production. So there was a, uh, we were really uh, honored to have Lavelle School for the Blind participate in, in the documentary. And uh, we filmed their, their art exhibition, you know, and, you know, there, there were eyewitness news from Channel 7, uh, you know, here in New York City came to, to also cover the, the event. And so it's like you're, it's like the real world, you know, you, you're trying to cover and, and only certain students are, have the, the parental guide, you know, contract that you can film them. So you Permission. have, yeah. so you have like parents saying, okay, you can't film my, my child that's, that's right there. And I said, all right, that's cool. Well, I'm filming this child over here. <laughs> so... Uh, and I respect your decision not to have your child on camera. That's your prerogative. Like, I, you know, so uh, it's just, you know. Yeah. What do you th- yeah. Do you think the whole idea of filming somebody is easier nowadays because so many people have cameras and cameras on their phones and that um, really it, it doesn't, you, you don't stand out as much as you would have, you know, five years ago when you, if you are filming somebody in a public setting? I think um, when approaching people we would like to film, I think that in some way it's a little easier, but it also makes it harder because they know the negative consequences of going on camera that they've seen. It it happens. People look bad sometimes, you know, especially when they're on camera and they're afraid. Oh my God. You know, how am I going to look like on camera? How am I going to come across? Is that what I sound like? Like you do have these issues, but I think what happens is when we talk to our subjects, we let them know straight up what we're trying to do. And this comes back to the point of having our story, um, condensing the point of our story into one declarative sentence, one simple to understand sentence. You know, when we talk about, for example, straight off the canvas, the point of that movie in one sentence is that, Art is not just a visual medium, you know, to be enjoyed. It's beyond just visual. That's it. It's one simple sentence. So the fact is, is that when you're approaching subjects, you also have to have an idea of their background. You have to have researched them beforehand. We just don't call people out of the blue. You know, we have to see what they're about, what they care about, what their interests are. And say, this is how this film aligns with their mission, their interests. So that, you know, they know what they're getting themselves into. 
right. this is not just some TMZ hit piece. You know, right. we are letting you know up front what this is all about. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, I have a lot of friends uh, who are actors because I I work with actors in my in my uh, spare time, and an actor uh, you know asked me a question yesterday because she knew my experience and said. Hey, can I, should I use an iPhone for this shoot? As and I, I said to her, you know, it depends on the the look and the feel that you're trying to give your audience. If you want it to be like a TikTok video or like a really short like video for for web, that's a it's a beautiful camera and it does have a beautiful video. But I would never use it on my films, um, you know, just because that's not how we were trained. Like we, the both of us have 10 plus years of, of shooting with, you know, media, you know, equipment. And um, in terms of it, does it make it harder? You know, like, like Jason said, we, we do the homework and, uh, you know, we're just open to, to, meeting people for our projects and and you know i don't think that that the multimedia of youtube and tiktok and all those videos is that's a whole different like category of that's not what we're doing right it's a good it's a good uh marketing tool though that's for sure all right okay i've been uh, having a com- great conversation here with Anthony Saldana and Jason Figuera. And so what I'd like to, you guys to do, and, okay, and uh, oh, yeah, you can, you can find them at facebook.com slash straight canvas or Twitter at straight canvas. So what I'd like each of you to do before we finish here is to, uh, is to share one thing that you learned from your, ex- if, uh, maybe one thing if you have, that you haven't already shared that you learned from your experiences uh, working with the visually impaired, and then just something that you want, w- could share that would help people out here who are creative entrepreneurs, uh, something that you can give them in the form of advice to help them uh, take, the, take the action that they need to do to publish their book, release their album, get their movie out into the world. So one thing you learned and one thing you can share with our audience to help them move forward. One thing that I learned is that sometimes in life, some people are going to tell you no, and you're, it's not, it's not the end of your journey and you can find, it just means that you have to fine tune what your project is to get it down to that one sentence that Jason said and to try to work with, with different uh, members of the community of the community that you're trying to, to highlight, to get a yes. And sometimes that yes takes years. Uh, what, what I learned really is that so many individuals throughout this country have been working to get, museums to be accessible for all for all Americans 
you know, included in the stable. And um, now that it's time to distribute, I, I there's a, a woman that reached out to me from Denmark, and she said, you know, your your film looks really powerful. We're we're really trying to get audio description here in Denmark, uh, and your and hopefully your film will be able to help us. And that is really powerful. In terms of of advice, I'd give for you know other uh, creative people. Uh, as I said before, you know, n- sometimes when you hear the word no, that doesn't mean that you should, you should, you know, stop your, your project. You just need to, you know, sometimes it's, it's fine tuning it or, or looking to the right to find the, the right person that will help you. And, uh, you know, you just have to write down your goal and keep, keep visualizing the goal and trying to make it happen because, uh, that's something that I wrote down in 2011, and here I am 10 years later, uh, marketing. You know, here with you, Max, talking about straight off the canvas, and I'm I'm really excited about that. And I hope that whoever is listening to this uh, will will be able to watch our film, no matter where they're from. Alrighty, and Jason. Well, I'd say one of the things I've learned is um, that blind people are ordinary people too. You know, they are people. Um, They have personalities, likes, dislikes, hopes, fears. Um, When I first encountered this project, I had to realize that some of the stuff I saw in media were just archetypes. And when I got to really know them as people, I could see them as people when i met them face to face it was kind of like a anthropological mission in a way like to see someone in real life oh okay and really appreciate their personalities and um any advice i can give to someone out there um who is trying to get their piece distributed i would say is when you look at criticism, you know, there's always somebody who's not going to like your work. There's going to be people who can give you constructive criticism. They like it, but they want certain things. There are certain things that need to be fixed. And then they're going to be, they're going to be people who absolutely love your work. And you, you really need to listen to the people who give you constructive criticism and the people who are supporting your work for people who don't like it. Okay. You know, that's fine. They may not like it. That's cool. But don't give up along the path. I would say you have, as one of my professors put it, you got to have that fire in your belly to tell that story. And it's that story that is your guiding compass to, you know, basically get um, to get out there. Remember that this is communication. Essentially, you're trying to communicate an idea to people first and foremost. And that's your most important thing is to focus on that idea and how, and what avenues that I can take to distribute it or to get it produced. If you haven't produced it as yet, there's a way to do it. Um, if you're not, a, if you're not, if you didn't go to college for filmmaking, you know, LinkedIn learning and Skillshare and other websites have provided wonderful videos that will teach you how to do filmmaking and, you know, whatever spare time you have, 
you can use it to develop this and start it out as a hobby. And it's happened where some people have just started it as a hobby and now they can't stop doing it. They become professionals at it. Um, so I would say if you have extra time and this is what you want to do, use it constructively to help build your idea and to get it out there. This is honestly uh, the best piece of advice I can give to your audience out, you know, to your audience today. All right. Well, thank you, Jason. And thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate y'all spending some time with me and, and sharing your experiences with the people here in the What's Your Excuse audience. Uh, looking forward to uh, them, many of them getting to see and appreciate uh, your film and to learn more about the visually impaired and about obsessive compulsive disorder when the next film comes out. So thank you, gentlemen, for being part of What's Your Excuse. Thank you for having us. No problem. What's your excuse, guys? Get to work. <laughs> Get to work, everybody. There is no excuse. There's no excuse. <laughs> We're in a pandemic. You got all the time in the world. <laughs> Take care of your kids and then do your art. <laughs> <laughs>
attending college to prepare ourselves for that next step in our lives, that quite often we have to go outside those opportunities and create something that's just for us, something that brings us joy, that fulfills our energies, our creative passions, and that could be a sport, a form of entertainment, a club, a hobby, or it could be a business. So be sure and make sure that you are feeding your emotional needs and that you have something beyond just paying the bills that helps you get up every morning. Again, I really enjoyed having them on the show. You can find them at facebook.com slash straight canvas or twitter.com slash straight canvas. And uh, I do hope you will check them out and watch the movie when it's available on a network where you live. Uh, also, please check out createmyvoice.com. Reach out to Chip Edwards to create a voice branding strategy. Uh, take advantage of Alexa, Google, Siri, the wearables, the watches, all these different places where people can, uh, can get your content and also places where you need to be in order to control your content. Make sure that when people go to the, the blind bloggers, say, on Alexa or Google, they're not going to get content from somebody else. So I do hope you reach out to Chip at createmyvoice.com. And uh, you can find me again at theblindblogger.net or whatsyourexcuseshow.com or you can ask Alexa and Google to play What's Your Excuse. I'm currently offering a program. It's called Eight Weeks to Being a Rockstar Guest. You can go to theblindblogger.net slash eight weeks. That's the number eight weeks. And check it out. Basically, I'm going to prepare you to be a great, amazing podcast guest. I'll interview you for my show, What's Your Excuse? I'll book you on some other shows, mentor you throughout the process, let you know how you're doing as each show is recorded. Uh, and then if at the end of the class you decide you want me to do the outreach and get you booked on more shows, I can definitely do that as well. I provide social media promotion for all bookings, whether it's part of the, the class or part of an actual publicity package. And please feel free to visit theblindblogger.net. Send me an email on the contact form, if nothing else. Uh, I do hope to hear from you soon. For those who have been continually supporting me in the podcast, thanks for your love and support. Without you, I couldn't do this. Knowing that y'all are watching, listening, expecting, and that you'll be disappointed if I don't create new content and have new amazing guests with wonderful stories to tell. So thank you because I worry about disappointing you. And as long as I'm worried about disappointing you, I'll keep doing what I do. Again, theblindblogger.net. Thank you for checking out another episode of What's Your Excuse? Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away. So what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide.